0: America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from, literally, the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at sonsoflibertymedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys could join us here uh, this Thursday morning. If you would like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, you can scroll down on the right. You can watch the video portion of the radio show that's going out on Red State Talk Radio. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio uh, right there on sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can also catch that live video feed on my Twitter account at FPPTim, FPPTim on Twitter, which is connected to my Periscope account. We're also on Facebook, at Bradley Dean S.O.L. Bradley Dean S.O.L. Our YouTube channel is B. Dean Sons of Liberty. B. Dean Sons of Liberty on YouTube. We're also live right now on beforeitsnews.com. Our friend Michael Roach has given us a spot there every morning, every weekday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And then 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Bradley's on every weekday. And then on Saturday, he's on for two hours. And finally, in the video section, we're on dlive.tv, dlive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. You can also find us on Spreeley, Gab, Miwi Minds, and USA.life at Sons of Liberty and Sons of Liberty Media. Now, this morning, I've got a, a very special guest for you, and uh, I want to give her uh, a proper introduction. And I, I, this is going to be a, this is going to be an interesting, informative, and I hope fun uh, fact filled <laughs> hour. Uh, it's a it's a good subject. It's someone who has not just uh, talked about it, but has lived it. Uh, Elizabeth Sabatish Wolf is an Austrian human rights and anti-Sharia activist. She's the author of the book "The Truth Is No Defense." A diplomat's daughter, she was a child in Iran during the Islamic Revolution of 1979, which we have been covering there. And I don't know, 200 years before that, on Tuesdays with Victor, during the 1990 invasion of Kuwait by Iraq. She was among the Austrian citizens who were held hostage. She subsequently worked as an assistant to the vice chancellor of the Republic of Austria at the Austrian embassy in Kuwait and the Austrian embassy, Tripoli, Libya. Late in 2009, she was charged with, quote, unquote, hate speech under Austrian law for factually accurate assertions she made during a seminar on Islam regarding statements in the Hadith on child marriage. In 2011, she was convicted of denigrating, or quote-unquote, denigrating the teachings of a legally recognized religion in Austria. And to tell you the truth, I don't think it should be a recognized religion anywhere. There is no right, uh, there is no God-given right to worship false gods. Anyway, in a Vienna courtroom, Anne paid a fine. The case was later accepted for decision at the European Court of Human Rights. She now works to preserve the First Amendment and has her own weekly show on Encounter truth.com melissa welcome to the sons of liberty
1: hi tim it's lovely to be with you it's midday here in austria a beautiful gorgeous sun-filled uh day but of course a day without liberty another one
0: yeah well that that's the thing that's going on here and it's slowly encroaching now it's really big time over in the uk for for friends of mine over there and i'm sure throughout europe uh, the push is is going on. We are seeing a time unprecedented. I mean, the world has never behaved this way. And I think it's my personal opinion. I'm not saying there's no virus. I'm just saying I think what's going on is a complete hoax. Uh, I think that people are being robbed of their liberties, of their wealth, um, of their futures. And I think we're going to see some stuff that gets really nasty, uh, with society before it's all over. That's just my thoughts. but uh... Well, we're on
1: the same page here, Tim. Okay. Totally. I, I completely uh, agree with you. Uh, I'm also not arguing that there's no virus. I'm just arguing the uh, proportionality or the disproportionality of what we're witnessing. And it just, you know, the speed at which this is happening, which, which some would actually, I mean, I would actually call this a speed of lightning that we're witnessing the loss of our liberties. Um, it, it's just disproportionate. Uh, I, I don't, it it looks like everybody was the powers that be were waiting for something like this to happen and boom, you know, within a few days, the entire world was subordinated to this, to this virus. And, you know, for someone like me, who's such a, a lover of liberty, uh, this is—you can imagine—that this, this is not a fun time for me.
0: No, not for me either. For me either. And now we're going to talk. We're going to switch things up because we—we we have been—we yeah. have been talking about, um, you know, the coronavirus. We—we've been talking about. I've been focused more on the the theft of our wealth by our government, and people go oh, uh, you know, Obama did this. And they, and they say it as to justify the criminality of those in government because their person has their favorite political jersey on. Look, I call them both out when they violate the Constitution. And, uh, and so we've been doing that. But we're dealing with another issue, and we're, we're getting it in the states too. And people thought, well, this was bad under Obama, and they're just not paying attention to it now because Trump's in office. And I'm like, the same stuff's going on. There's still an issue of now Christianity, you know, almost 20 years after 9-11, is the thing that you can stigmatize, that you can beat on, that you can say all kinds of manner of evil about, but don't you dare say anything about Islam. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. And there are some people, let let me clarify, there are some people who hate Muslims. I'm not one of them. I hate Islam. I hate it with a passion. Because my Bible teaches me that people who hold to that are antichrists. I mean, that's First and Second John It's very clear. So they stand against my Lord Jesus. They stand against everything that America was founded upon, and all of these things. And so I want Muslims to know the same Christ that saved me out of my sins. I want them to. Know, I want them to know that Christ. Uh, same thing with Jews. Same thing with Buddhists or Hindus or whoever they are. But Islam has this underpinning. Um, that's very political. Now, Christianity has a political underpinning. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we have the law, and whoever the God of the society is determines what the law is. or That's the way it's supposed to be. So when we come and when we bring you on, you've got a, a very rich history uh, of things that you've encountered, uh, things that I read off at the first. And uh, tell people a little bit about some of those things before we get into, you know, what got you in trouble for just speaking the truth.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I'll leave that uh, aside for now. But as I, you know, you, you'll find it in the book. The first thing I say is I'm a diplomat's brat. I was uh, born in, in Geneva, Switzerland, my father was already a on his way to becoming uh, a diplomat. He was uh, studying there to become an Austrian diplomat. And in uh, 1975, uh, my father was transferred to New York. And uh, that was the first time I, I was introduced to the English language because, you know, your viewers probably wonder, well, why? You know, she doesn't sound like an Austrian. Uh, well, you know, the explanation is very easy. I grew up with English. Uh, I went to kindergarten in New York City in 19, from nineteen seventy five to seventy seven preschool also of course, and uh, then I lost it completely because my father was then transferred to Iran, and in, from nineteen seventy seven to nineteen eighty, uh, my family and I experienced the revolution, the Iranian revolution firsthand, but. What you need to understand is that when we moved to uh, Iran, to Tehran specifically, uh, Iran was still a fairly free, Western-oriented country. Now, don't think that I'm an apologist for the Shah. Uh, he definitely wasn't what we would call a good guy, uh, but, you know, there are there are certain degrees of, of goodness and not goodness. and he was definitely good to the con- for the country and to his people uh, as far as, you know, was possible. Uh, yes, I knew when I was six or seven years old that there was uh, a vein prison, that there were political prisoners. I knew even back then. I was totally aware. But after witnessing what happened afterwards, after the Shah was forced to leave the country, you know, that was a thousand times, a million times worse. And I mean, ask any exiled uh, Iranian, and they will tell you, you know, we want the Shah back, uh, and we'll return to Iran. Same thing holds for uh, Iraq, the same thing holds for Libya. Uh, it wasn't perfect during Saddam Hussein's uh, reign, and it certainly wasn't perfect during Gaddafi when we, he was in power and it certainly isn't perfect, uh, during, uh, in, when you look at at Syria and, um, what's his name? Assad. Uh,
0: the Syrian, uh, yeah the, uh, Bashar Assad, Al Assad.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, Bashar Assad. Yeah. Uh, it certainly isn't perfect, but if you look, uh, at Christians and how they are able to, uh, be a part of the community and how they were a part of the community. And I'm going to, you know, go back to Iran. We were able to worship freely in Iran. Uh, we were able to worship freely in in Baghdad when when my father was posted, uh, you know, in Baghdad uh, during uh, the Christmas period of 1982-83. We went to to Christmas Mass in Baghdad. It it was full. I mean, the church was was completely filled to capacity. Uh, The same thing in Libya. I was in Libya from 2000 to 2001. Uh, Churches open, not a problem for uh, the Christian minority to practice the faith freely. Now, uh, again, Gaddafi wasn't a good guy. We all know that. But Christians were able to practice freely and they weren't persecuted as they are now. So, we need to put this in in you know into context uh, from a Christian perspective. Times are really dire right now, but i don't i I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, so I don't need to tell you that So back to Iran. what made such an impression on me as a young girl was this this transition from this relatively free society to almost overnight a totalitarian Theocratic society, and this is something that has stayed with me uh, all my life, and has influenced me and shaped me. And uh, in retrospect, when I was writing the book, almost a year when I, yeah, I began writing almost a year ago, I came to the conclusion that I really didn't, ha- I didn't have a choice. I had to become a free- freedom fighter. No one else in my family is that way. I'm the only one. I'm probably the black sheep of the family. I'm the one who warns I'm the whistleblower i I'm, I'm I'm the one who's getting on my family's nerves for for saying, "Hey, look, you know we're losing our liberties now. Well, who cares? We don't need any freedom of speech, right? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So uh that was Iran. uh Iran made a huge impact on me, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and again, you know, I was a first grader and a second grader, um, uh, Iraq. We moved back to to Vienna in uh, 1980, and in 1982, my dad, like I said, was was uh, asked to fill in for the ambassador, uh, for the Austrian ambassador in Baghdad. Uh, I got a taste of what war is like, what an e- war economy is like, um, what it's like to hear anti-aircraft uh, uh, gunfire. Uh, you know, not something that that people my my generation know about. Um, Again, it shaped me. Uh, I learned about Islam already, but I didn't read any of the books. I just lived Islam, let's put it that way. Another uh, important step in, in my education of being a freedom fighter was uh, my dad's moved to Chicago in 1983. So uh, my family and I moved to Chicago. I went to school in, in Chicago's Academy of the Sacred Heart on Sheridan Road, a very strict Catholic school that I was not pleased about, as you can imagine, as a young adult who, who you know, was thinking, you know, why do I need to learn this right now? But the most important, um, there, was, there was a social studies teacher. Who really shaped me. Uh, She taught us in eighth grade, she taught us the Constitution. It was one of these huge tests that you that you uh, were scared about that you were warned about a really, really hard test. And if you don't pass it, you can't graduate eighth grade, you can't go on to high school, blah, blah, blah um we were all duly scared we were all uh studying really hard and I kept thinking you know why do I as an Austrian have to study the constitution it's not my own constitution I should be studying my Austrian constitution first of course I didn't get a choice and uh I was I was so impressed long story short I was so impressed by this simple government paper this 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 uh not government paper, I'm sorry, that that this, this constitution that an eighth grader can understand that is so simply written and yet so powerful in granting, um, in, in actually not granting us, but in, in, in telling us, look, you are a free person. It's not the government that gives you freedom. It's God that gives you freedom. And these are liberties that you need to cherish, that you need to uphold. And You know, since then I've 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 always thought that I, and I I guess I'm I'm, I was very naive. I always thought that once I returned to Austria, uh, I would have the same rights that my Austrian constitution uh, would would also provide me or protect me uh, provide me with the same rights uh, that I experienced in the U.S. that I appreciated so much in the U.S. Um, I passed. The test, by the way, I didn't do spectacularly well. I got a C. Uh, But the test is is still in my possession. Uh, And it's it's changed my life. It really has. Uh, The Constitution, to me, in my view, is the greatest political document ever written. And I say this, uh, you know, out of deep conviction, even though I'm not an American citizen and uh, i believe that we here in europe uh in the european union desperately need uh, a bill of rights like document uh which we don't have so uh this is this is like the my formative years my adult years then were spent um in as a ski instructor which I thought was very important because you need to learn about people. You need to be able to teach people something, but also uh, becoming a hostage in, in uh, Kuwait in 1990, uh, exactly 30 years ago, by the way. And I was 19 years old at the time. And I was in Kuwait on my own working for the Austrian uh, embassy. My dad told me his friend, the ambassador needed someone to help out in the visa section. So I, packed my stuff in May of 1990 and moved to Kuwait. And uh, yeah, August 2nd, 1990, I woke up and I I saw uh, helicopters hovering and flying above uh, me. I saw uh, soldiers in the streets. Um, I was all of a sudden confined to the embassy building. I wasn't allowed to leave uh, the embassy building anymore not totally dissimilar to what we're experiencing what i'm experiencing right now and uh i recount those three and a half weeks uh, of of uh, being a guest of saddam hussein in my book so if uh if people are interested i won't go into any detail uh, you know you really should buy my book simply to find out what happened to me in in nineteen ninety as a nineteen year old stuck in Kuwait in the middle of an invasion uh being afraid of uh the american uh of an American bombardment of an American attack when you 're in the middle of a desert and you can 't hide We were sitting ducks, but more on that of course in my book so any questions about what I said until now, No, Tim, No, no,
0: we, I, I, I find all this fascinating because, boy, you're, I mean, from a young age, you're from the Middle East to the United States to the Middle East to the United States to the Middle East. I mean, you're all over, and uh, you probably have seen the world like very few people have seen. I mean, I know there are people who have. Don't get me wrong. But I think those people are few and far between. And to be in moments of history that you've been in, you know, we, we talked even about even bringing the Shaw in, uh, you know, there was a coup by uh, th- that was instituted by RCA in nineteen fifty. I think it was fifty three mm-hmm. to bring mm-hmm. him in, and then there's even talks that there were there were actions uh, in seventy nine with that. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure on on those specifics. But over and over, and you mentioned Syria and you mentioned Libya, I mean, we've been behind helping the people get those people out. And that's the weird part to me. It's like, have we not learned a lesson here uh, of messing with the people's, uh, you know, other – we we've got so much corruption in our own government. We, and as far as I'm concerned, we need to clean our own backyard before we start looking to clean everybody else's. But I appreciate what you had to say about the Constitution because it doesn't give us rights. See, in other countries, that's the way they view it. They view government gives them rights. Well, in the Constitution, what we, what our forefathers did was they put the chains on those who represent us and said, you can't do anything here. Here's the few things we're going to allow you to do. And sadly today, people uh, wearing their political jersey give me a hard time for calling out President Trump or the members of Congress over this stimulus, two two $2.2 trillion dollars. The, the vast majority of it, which is unconstitutional spending, and they go, well, Obama did And I, guys, I called <laughs> him out when he did it too. It, it's yep. like they have no concept. That, that The Constitution does not apply to the people. It applies to the people we send to represent us to do a small job. And it says you can do this, but you can't do any of this other stuff. And they just do whatever they want now, and the people throw up their hands. But, no, I appreciate the history that you've been through. We're going to promote your book, too. Um on and when we archive the show later this morning. Now one of the things Here's okay. the book by okay. the way. I'm gonna hang the on. Truth is it no up there. Yeah. The truth is no defense. Um and uh, we're gonna have that up on the site so that people can pick that up if Thank they're you. interested. And uh, one of the things that uh, that that has gotten you in trouble and it's gotten people in trouble here, uh in fact, get this. I started a website in two thousand twelve called freedomoutpost.com. And we were, a majority of stuff that we had was exposing Islam. Uh, It was exposing what jihad really was, uh, historically. It was Mm -hmm. exposing who Muhammad was. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he was a demon-possessed, murdering, thieving pedophile. Desert nomad. That that's what I that's how I view him. And I think all of that
1: You can't say that in Austria, by the way, Tim.
0: Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. I'm I'm gonna be here. I was having conservatives tell me at one point, you can't write stuff about that. You can't, you know, you're you're harboring on that too much. And I'm like, look, the truth is powerful, and people even some Muslims don't even know some of the things that are about him. So you decided you were going to speak out on this issue. <laughs> you were going to be, uh, as we have at the first of this, year, you were going to be the boat rocker and actually say what needed to be said, which was the truth. And even Muslim apologists know this. There's nothing they can say to get around it. And what happened? What did you say? Where did where did it happen? And what happened to you?
1: Well, I need to back up a, uh, okay. and, and give your viewers a sense of, you know, my life didn't stop in 1990 uh you know uh, my friend Karen Siegmund uh he, who is the president of the American Freedom Alliance based in in LA uh wrote the introduction to my book and she called my life forrest gumpian and i i really agree my life is forrest gumpian it's it's sometimes surreal um but you know i i tried to make the most of it in the sense that i i suppose i have uh, something was given to me by, by God uh, to be the one to speak out. Uh, I didn't seek the limelight. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm just there. i just there. I'm not one who seeks it. I'm a very private person. But anyway, uh, just to let you know, in 1997, I returned to Kuwait and worked at the Austrian embassy again. And, of course, back in 1997, I was uh, 26. And, uh, you know, those almost four years in Kuwait or three and a half years in Kuwait, Uh, I I got a different glimpse of what Islam is all about. And um, the one important story to tell about Kuwait, because it relates to my legal case, was I, again, was in charge of uh, the uh, visa section, but also of reading all the media that was available at the time. Of course, this was pre-internet or pre worldwide internet yet so i read mostly read the two english language uh, daily newspapers in kuwait and one day i i did my usual scanning and all of a sudden i see this uh piece written i i think by a by a muslim uh discussing muhammad's uh marriage to his child bride aisha so he was 56 at, 56 and uh Aisha was six years old when uh, they got married and consummated the marriage when she was nine. And I I remember jumping up from my uh, office chair, uh, running through the embassy to find our Arabic uh, interpreter. He was a very devout Jordanian. Uh, and I said to him, Hussein, Hussein, is this true? Look what I just read in the newspaper. Oh, my God, you know, I can't believe it. I mean, that's disgusting, you know, whatever. You know, your natural reaction, right? I mean, it is it is disgusting and despicable for a 56-year-old to marry a six-year-old girl. It doesn't, you know, no matter what religion, what, what uh, culture you belong to, it's sick. Yes, it is. And... I looked at him and I—I I was searching for an answer, and he, you know, his 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 face contorted in anger, and he looked at me and he said, uh, "Do not ever, ever discuss this again. Don't talk about it. I don't want to hear about it." And I said, "But Hussein, you know, this is your religion. Blah blah blah." He's like, "Religion is good. People are bad. That's all he ever said." We never raised the sub- subject again. Uh, I finished my tour of duty in Kuwait, met my husband there, who's an Austrian uh, um, army. He's ma- he's a member of the army here in Austria. He was posted to Kuwait at the time, working for the UN. And then uh, we got married and, and we moved to Libya, to Tripoli, Libya. I felt I needed another year of this madness. So I was... I was in Tripoli, Libya on uh, September eleventh, two 2001. Interesting story there was uh, I was on my own. My husband was in Vienna, and I was getting ready to, to fly out to meet him back in Vienna and when the Twin Towers were attacked. And that night, my Libyan landlord stormed into my apartment and started screaming and shouting, The Jews did it! I know it! The Jews are behind all of this! I really didn't want to get into an argument with this uh man. Uh I just gently removed him from my apartment. But it you know it shows this uh anti-Semitic sentiment uh that we find in the Quran, if you've read it and in the hadith and, and you know everywhere in the Quran, anti-Semitism is so rampant. Uh, in those documents and I was then reminded of this anti-semitism when I returned to Austria and started teaching be, become, I became a teacher student or a student teacher At an American private university in Vienna and I had some Libyan students and they Said some anti-semitic uh, slurs and I reported this to the university president and I was reprimanded for reporting on the anti-Semitism of these students, just to, to show you how crazy the world is. Anyway, fast forward. Uh, I left the Islamic world behind me in, in 2001, returned to Austria with my husband, uh, had my daughter, and then you know Islam was, was not really in the, at the forefront of my thoughts. But then a book came into my hands, and I started reading it, and that changed my life. Uh, to make a long story short, and I felt the need to educate people about Islam and its effects on a Judeo-Christian society. And what was the book? Uh, a, what was the book uh, that you read? Arabic uh, liberal society.
0: What was the book that you read?
1: Um, it was called. You can actually find it in English. In English, it's called "The Misery of Islam." Okay. And the beauty of this book is, it was written by an Indian atheist. And he used only Islamic sources to write this book. So none of the, oh, this is, you know, through Western civilization, the lenses, uh, you know, all the distortion and blah, blah, blah. No distortion at all. This is only Islamic sources. And it scared me. But at the same time, I felt uh, liberated in the sense that I finally had the tools to explain why I have been feeling so uncomfortable with Islam. You know, it's it, it shouldn't when we talk about Islam it shouldn't be about feelings. We should be able to back it up by doctrine.
0: I agree. And
1: that's what I did. I started reading everything I got and you know, was able to, 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 you know, I read Robert Spencer, but I also read Karen Armstrong. I read, you know, the apologetics uh, and it, the apologists, I'm sorry, but also the, the really knowledgeable people. I started reading Quran itself. I started getting into the Hadith, uh, the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. And, you know, I became what people would call an expert of course i don't call myself an expert but people would probably call me an expert i know about islam probably more than i know about my own religion christianity so i was asked by a political party in austria the first party that actually realized uh, that there was a problem we're facing with the influx of all the uh, muslims from bosnia And they settled in Austria after the Bosnian War in the 1990s and, you know, changed society. And we started seeing more headscarves, more mosques, more problems. So a political party, what you would call a right wing party, asked me to hold seminars. And uh, I did that uh, quite successfully. And, uh, you know, there were fully sourced PowerPoint presentations, fully sourced, nothing that came out of my mind, everything fully sourced. And because I became, the, the the seminars became, you know, popular and more people attended, a left-wing magazine sent an undercover lady, a young lady, maybe 23 at the time or 24, on assignment to surreptitiously record my seminars. And uh, that lady then sent a transcript to the public prosecutor's office, who then immediately pressed charges against me. Uh, for hate speech and a year later I was taken uh, you know the court proceedings started and uh, at first it became you know the judge a lady by the way grilled me and I was able to you know explain everything to her and after we played the tapes it became very clear that there was absolutely no hate speech in what I said But the judge, at her own discretion during the proceedings, added another charge, which was uh, denigration of religious teachings, which is a blasphemy charge. And now you're going to wonder, what was it that I said? Well, I said a lot of things. You know, 12 hours of seminars, uh, (laughs) you know, you tend to say a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what really... uh, What she didn't like was the discussion about Muhammad and his marriage to a six-year-old and the consummation of that same marriage to a nine-year-old, when she was nine. And it was, I was recounting a conversation I had with my sister uh, where I, where she said to me, well, you know, you, you can't say that, say what, calling him a pedophile. She said to me, you can't call him a pedophile. I said, well, what word do you think we should use to explain that behavior? Well, I don't care what you call it, but you can't, call, you can't say it's, it's pedophilia. And so what I did was I actually asked a rhetorical question, and I said, what do you call this behavior if not pedophilia? So the judge didn't like that. She found me guilty on denigration of religious teachings. I appealed and appealed and appealed, and one of the appeals courts said, while it is factually true that Muhammad married a six-year-old and consummated the marriage when she was nine, calling it pedophilia is an excess of opinion. Now wrap your head (laughs) around that.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay, so let's... uh, This is a little weird for me because you said... She couldn't find you guilty on the things that were there. So she decides to throw in the charge. This is kind of like our our Supreme Court when they decide, oh, well, you know, there's no law for this. um, But, yeah, two men can get married and two women can get married. And that's what we're going to rule on, even though they have no legislative authority. This seems to me like this would come out of an executive, an executive. I don't know how Austria is set up, but it would seem like it would come out of a different place in government than a judge who's just found you basically innocent of the other things. Now she's saying, no, I'm going to charge you with this thing and I can't even define what the word means. Or, I mean, this is just ridiculous.
1: Yes, it is. I mean, the whole thing is, is ridiculous. And it became very clear, uh, that, you know, my lawyer and I would have to take this all the way up to the Supreme court, which we did. Uh, we lost of course, uh, and then after having taken this to the Supreme Court, we were free uh, to call on the, a supranational institution called the European Court of Human Rights, which is not to be confused with a European Union court. It's very complicated in Austria, but yeah. it's not a European Union court. It's a special human rights court uh, that includes, as me- as a member... Such freedom-loving countries as Azerbaijan. Now, there was an Azerbaijani judge on my panel, on the panel that gave the final judgment on my case. Now, my case at the Human Court, the the European Court of Human Rights, uh, asked the question: What is wor- what? What is more important, freedom of speech or freedom of religion? Or, asked differently. Or answered differently, the court judged that uh, my right to freedom of speech is less important than the Muslims quote unquote the Muslims' right not to be offended
0: yeah it it's absolutely amazing, especially when you, yeah, especially when you when you compare it to things that go on today against Christianity. Uh, I made yeah. mention at the first. You know, here we are, almost twenty years beyond uh, 9/11 in the states. We have a myriad of Muslims running for office. It is the protected class. We've got a couple of Muslims, part of the "quote unquote" squad, uh, who are. I mean, mm-hmm. th- th- we've documented they're criminals. Does th- has Donald Trump done anything about those guys? Nope. And they keep attacking him. And everybody go, well, they're just they just hate Trump. Well, if the guy would bring justice, like he's supposed to, Article Two, Section Three. These guys wouldn't be attacking him, but there's no, there's no justice. And then we have people buying into psyops thinking that, oh, Donald Trump's going to take down the deep state. We, this, the actions that we see coming out right now, and we talked about the first, are evidence of that. But the thing that you faced is a very practical Sharia. It, of course, yeah. Islam is not in control in Austria, but it definitely has an impact when you have a judge. I, and I'm curious, the judge that you had, did you guys ever do any investigating to see whether she was an Islam convert? Did you do anything to see whether she had Islamic ties or anything like that? I'm just kind of curious
1: uh I'm sure that some of my friends looked into her uh but there's no as far as I know no ties to Islam at all and there not there need not be any because if you if you've read your uh you know I don't know if you know about Bat Yor and her, her seminal work on Eurabia and how Europe was, what was it, 1969, subordinated to the Islamic, uh, I would say, Islamic takeover uh, by Charles de Gaulle uh, of France, and uh, it was basically uh, oil for peace. You know that's what the european union did back then you really need to look into this uh and then it all makes sense because this is this is a uh this is something that started in 1969 that everything in europe it doesn't matter where all of europe it's all pervasive uh you know the arabic language is to be is to be introduced and taught Uh, Arab history, uh, there's supposed to be uh, programs, exchange programs between Northern Africa and Europe. It's, It's all focused on introducing and spreading Islam in Europe. So this young judge, she was young at the time, she must have been maybe 30, 32, she grew up under this brainwashing how fantastic Islam is. Now, I'm not trying to make any excuses. I, I, I was lucky because I was not, uh, you know, sub, subject, subjected to any of this indoctrination because I didn't go to school uh, in, in Europe for most of my time as a student. Um, but, of course, everybody in, in Europe is indoctrinated, brainwashed into thinking, oh, my God, you know, we can't talk about this because it's so wonderful. So it was clear that she had to find me guilty. I mean, the, you know, I as I always like to say, we could have had Mohammed and Aisha testify on my behalf. It would not may have made any difference at all in the judgment.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that very clearly. In fact, this is one of the things that that concerns a lot of Americans about what's coming here, because I know Europe is like a couple of decades ahead of the United no, States. No, no, less than that. No?
1: <laughs> less than that i would say maybe a
0: few years okay all right fair enough fair enough you're 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 a person on that side that sees that now th- there's a question that i want to ask and that is when we look at uh, something like a nazi germany we know that hitler used muslims in there and mm-hmm. um i see this national socialism coming from a, a a a number of um and the eu has been huge in that and i think the united states is coming right behind it I really do. We've seen fascism between public and private partnerships. Now we're seeing our federal government, the Treasury Department, using the the monopoly money of the Federal Reserve to buy up securities. Folks, that right there, that's the very definition of communism. I mean, I, I don't understand why people don't see this. But anyway, do you see that this expansion of what we saw in Germany with using the Muslims sort of as what Bradley says in the afternoon, a political battering ram? And, and, and they've used the, uh, the, the, the sodomite community, the LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, they've used them as political battering rams, and th- when they're done with them, they're going to look to get rid of them to push their agenda. I mean, do you see that happening in the EU, or do you see this as something more to just push Islam?
1: I, yeah, I have a slightly different take. I think uh, Islam is being used by the neo-communists uh i saw this uh, play out in in iran when uh the fundamentalist muslims around uh the ayatollah khomeini uh partnered up with the hard left communists uh to, to topple the shah now the first thing uh the uh um, the ayatollah did when he took over power was to get rid get rid i e kill and or imprison or you know any combination of that, all the members of the Communist party, which is why you, most of the Iranians uh, who fled Iran are communists actually which is which is quite interesting, uh, some of them also in the United States, most of them remained in europe uh, lots of lots of uh, iranians communist Iranians. In, uh, Germany and the UK uh, so I see our problem today is uh, not so much Islam in the sense that Islam is taking over I think it's Islam is a symptom of the illness the illness is communism yeah look at what's happening in the US it's communism teaming up with Which is Islam, so you have this red-green axis working together, and uh, Islam is merely filling up a void created by communism, which is getting rid of religion, getting rid of Christianity. A world we all want a world religion, which is made up of of a combination of Islam and Christianity. And, uh, and humanism,
0: because, humanism, say that again? humanism. I mean, this is really where is.
1: we're all humans, right? Yeah. I mean, who can, who can argue against that?
0: Yeah.
1: But that's so dangerous because, you know, we've lost our Christianity. We've lost our Christian basic Christian values. Uh, and I, like I always say, if everybody believed in the 10 commandments, the world would be such a better place, Amen. a much, much
0: better place. Amen. You know? Amen. Um, no, there's a, there's so a thing, Melissa. Look into
1: the red green axis.
0: Yeah, there's a thing, Melissa, and this is you know really what the Sons of Liberty are about. That our foundations are the Bible first and foremost, above the Constitution, and then the Constitution. That's what we point to to you know when um, when you read uh, the Book of Amos you see that the prophet took and he, he upheld, upheld a, a plumb line. And most people who have any idea of what building is, you know, they use that to find out whether or not they laid their bricks straight or any of these kinds of things. And so when you hold those things up, you find out whether people are being straight or crooked. And it's not that we're here to beat people over the head. That is not the issue. That's what, in fact, that's what the ideology of Islam does. If you don't adhere to that, then we mm-hmm. beat you over the head or yep. we cut your head off, one or the other. Yep. Um but here the, the idea, the Christian principle is to call people to repentance. Now if you're if you're obviously in violation of a capital crime, then that would call for uh you know a death penalty. But but there's like most people don't even understand they think anything that's against Christianity is a death penalty. What's not? There's like mm-hmm. a handful of things that, that apply to there. The rest of the things are dealt with, you repent. Um, if you, if you steal, it's a civil offense and you that's settled between you and the other person and the state doesn't get your money or your time or any of that stuff. The person does it's real justice from real just laws. And so I'm glad that you, that you spoke out against these things. I mean, I hate that you go through the stuff you do, but I'm seeing people, uh, faced with that kind of junk here in the U S it makes me angry. It makes me angry, um, And not in the sense that I want to go do any harm, because that would be the... See, this is the difference between Christianity and Islam. In Christianity, our founder said that we're to love even our enemies. We're to love our neighbors. That doesn't mean that we speak softly about them. That doesn't mean we go light on crime or any of this other. It just means we're to love them. In Islam, that's not the case. You're to hate them. You're to go after them. Now, I realize there are Muslims out there going, Well, I I don't believe that, but you're not devout. You would be what they call the hypocrite. You would be the one not following uh what Muhammad taught, not following what is found in the East.
1: And he would be killed.
0: Yes, and you would be killed. They would they would and this is I think why yeah. we have some of the wars in the Middle East between even Muslim countries, they're wanting to get the hypocrites, right?
1: Hmm.
0: I mean that, that that's that's the way I see That's it.
1: exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. And you know, uh, you know, it, this 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 case is now over. There's nothing I can do about it anymore. Uh but you know i don't see myself as a victim quite on the contrary because thanks to this i would say stupid little girl who infiltrated my seminars i was able to spread my knowledge far and wide i was able to make uh, a case for the constitution and against islam because if we if we look at the constitution and islam we know exactly what will well, who will be you know the victor in this in this uh you know, uh, fight between evil and uh, you know good and evil, uh, truth and and uh, fallacy. We know that. But I was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to be to stand with so many great other peoples, uh, people who who are freedom fighters, uh, just like I am. Uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in great company. You know, I don't want to be. I don't want to be a part of the the hypocrites. I don't want to be a part of that group denying truth. For me, the truth is most important. Uh, Yes, the truth was no defense. I understand that. Uh, I don't accept the ruling, uh, but there's nothing I can do about it. I fought tooth and nail until the very end. Uh, Maybe one of these days. Who knows? Uh, ju- justice will prevail at some point. Uh, but for now, I, I just have to deal with this crazy, uh, uh, you know, judgment. Uh, but it's, it, I, I'm not even going to say it, it made me a, it's made me a bit better person. I, I have a calling. I have to speak out. I won't be silenced. Uh, I will continue to stand uh, with you in the United States to fight for your rights, because remember one thing, you know, my, my good friend, Eric Metaxas said a wonderful, uh, said something wonderful recently. He said, you in America, you still have the freedom to fight for freedom. Exactly. We don't in, in Europe. We Our freedoms, even before this whole Corona crisis, our freedoms were taken away. And yes, the situation in the United States is, is bad, again even before the corona crisis but you still have your constitution you can still fight based on your constitutional rights and when you go to court you still have a chance to win we do not it doesn't matter what we take to court we will always lose my friends and i will always lose as they have been doing in the past decade so you need to understand my message to you from austria from an austrian citizen is you still have the freedom to fight for freedom, use that freedom and go for it. You need to fight it because after America, there's no place to go. You are you are the, the, the shining light. You are the beacon of, of free speech, of freedoms. I mean, that's that's my, my, yeah, my passion is to stand by your side, stand side by side with you to fight for your freedoms because your freedoms means my freedom too.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, Bradley has, has the phrase that we still have the freedom to do the right thing, and that is to push back that's against true. all these things. I mean, he's out of Minnesota where Ilhan Omar has come out of, where Keith Ellison, you know, uh, I think cheated his way into an attorney general position so he can bully other people to push Islam. Uh, even though they say they're not doing it, that's what they're doing. That is That is what they're doing. And um, part of the issue that we have here, the Sons of Liberty, is always calling people back to the law. It's the same message as all of, you know, when people read the Old Testament, they think, oh, well, this is a religious book, it's spiritual, it's ancient, you know, we don't have time for that. Guess what? Every message of the prophets of the Old Testament was political. Every single one of them. Why? Because they call people back to the law. The law is political because it is the system of, of justice, it is what determines just laws, what well, God determines just laws, but that's bound up in his law, and just punishments. I, I've been railing against issues of prisons. What's happening in the UK? Um, we're seeing that they're putting a lot of Islam, we're seeing they're putting Islamists in the prisons, and what are they doing? Well, they're using it as a means to convert people, and and it's like when these people come out, what are they? Well, they're Islamists. And some of them become very devout Islamists. And by devout, I don't mean radical. I think that's a bad term to use. It's like people say that you're a radical Christian. No, I just believe what the Bible says, and I want to obey it. I may not obey it perfectly, but I want to obey it perfectly. Uh, the the Islamist says, oh, I want to obey the Quran perfect perfectly. And we had a guy, he was a veteran. They set up to go to Kurdistan to help... Um, uh, the 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 Kurds over there deal with just wounds. He said their people were dying from just wounds that could be taken care of with a tourniquet or all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. We were just teaching them basic, you know, care on the battlefield and stuff. And he said one of the guys we work with used to be in ISIS. And I said, oh really? And he goes, yeah, because I asked him about have you had a chance to share the gospel with people? Because folks, we are not gonna we are not gonna deal with Islam or communism or Judaism or anything else. Unless we use the the weapons that God has given us, and he says they aren't carnal. Now, I'm not denying, because look, I'm a big gun fan and all that, uh, self-defense and all of this. I, I believe that we ought to have that. But in dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with, our weapons are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And I think those are ideologies that we have in our head that drive us. You were talking about the people who left Iran were communists. And Mm -hmm. uh, they come over here, and they they probably enjoy the freedom that they have, but they have this mentality that wants to conform the freedom they've been given, the liberty that they've been given, into a form of slavery. It's the weirdest thing. It's kind of like the people who came out of Egypt. Yeah, it's like the people who came out of Egypt. They they want to go back to Egypt. And it's like, yep. didn't you see what God did for you? Didn't you see him destroy the army before you? I mean, what is wrong with you people? We got about um, a minute and a half here, Melissa. Um, you want to close out? You got something that, that's very important that people need to hear right now?
1: Well, I think I've said everything. You know, the Constitution is, uh, is your defense. The Bible is your defense. Uh, you know, you need to stand up for your values. Be brave. Be bold. You know, you can still speak out do it. You still have uh, and hopefully will continue uh, to have a great president who hopefully will be even bolder in his next term, uh, who will hopefully choose the right people to surround himself with. And, uh, you know, for me, it's here in Austria, you know, I just hope that this uh, this nightmare will end and we can go on to to rebuilding our country my country. I mean, it's, 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 in, it's in tatters right now. And uh, I'm worried for the future. But above all, we need to reclaim our, our liberties again, our freedoms. I mean, freedom above all. Freedom of speech means freedom of religion. If you lose your freedom of speech, you've lost your freedom of religion.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. In fact, if we had time, we would play Edelweiss for you. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> well, play God bless America. That would be great. Too. Well,
0: we could do that too. But I think it's uh, God bless America with repentance. We we really need that. Yeah. We need to turn from our own sin um, because we can point Absolutely. at everybody else and all these ideologies. But the reason these things are coming upon us is because God said he would bring these things upon a disobedient people deuteronomy 28 leviticus 26 and if people aren't going to learn he's going to bring them on more and more and more and we don't want that so let's turn to god guys in 23 hours we're going to have um from the john birch society we're going to have my good friend evan mulch here from south carolina we're going to talk about it. it doesn't feel like it's unconstitutional it is unconstitutional 23 hours to talk to you then lord willing see ya